Good morning, Oak Ridge. Good morning. Somebody jumped. I love it. I love it. It is time to wake up. I believe God has something he wants to say to you. And my prayer and my hope is that I don't get in the way of what the Holy Spirit desires to speak into your heart and life this morning. We are getting very close to the end of the book of Galatians. We're going to wrap it up next week. But we've been reading for several weeks this letter that the Apostle Paul writes to a number of churches spread throughout the region of Galatia, again, what we might call central Turkey by today's map. He wants them to understand more than anything else the gospel. And so he starts off like he does so often with his letters saying, grace and peace to you. Because this is the gospel in two words. It blends together these cultures that Paul is reaching, these Jewish people as well as these Gentiles, with this idea that God extends grace into your life, that you cannot merit or earn God's favor, but God wants to pour his goodness and presence into your life. By the blood of Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven, redeemed, bought back into a right relationship with God that you experience shalom or the peace of God. Paul preached this gospel as truth, and he avoided telling people only what people wanted to hear. He avoided telling the religious people what they wanted to hear, that it was a bunch of rules and how you looked and how you acted, and he avoided telling people that were the, the Gentiles, that it was just easy and you could live your life however you want. He said, we're made right with God by faith in Jesus, which the Holy Spirit gives witness to in a believer's life. We are adopted as heirs of God's promise so that we're no longer slaves to our former way of life, whether it was religion or our sin. He says it doesn't make any sense for people who have turned and who have trusted Jesus, who have felt the freedom and the grace and the peace that he offers to turn back to works of piety as a path to religious superiority. Nor should Christians live according to their sin nature any longer, but rather followers of Jesus should live lives that evidence the fruits of the Holy Spirit. If you have a Bible in your hand, it might be a papery one, it might be a digitally one, you might need to borrow one from the chair in front of you or even open a tab on the computer screen, but I'd invite you to get out your Bible and to look at it for a second. And you realize how much more important it is than anything I have to say to you. And you realize how blessed you are in 2022 that the written word of God is something you can own, you can carry with you in your pocket, you can have multiple copies in your home, and the very written word of God is available in your language to read and to begin to understand. I hope you'll raise that Bible up nice and high this morning and just say, I brought my Bible today. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 6. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a minute to turn to Galatians chapter 6. And Have you ever noticed that we as human beings seem to naturally place expectations on groups of people for how they should live or how we think that they ought to behave? For instance, uh, when I serve as a substitute teacher in the school, when I walk into the classroom, I have a certain set of expectations where I'm believing that there's a certain way that students ought to act, a certain respect that they should have for one another, for the school, for me as a substitute teacher. 
And on most occasions, students do a great job of meeting those expectations. Every once in a while, they don't do such a great job meeting those expectations, and I leave their name for their teacher, or on very rare occasions, maybe I call the office and send a student down. But most of the time, I believe that students do such a good job meeting the expectations because somebody, before I even got there, has communicated with them, these are what the expectations are. This might be the student handbook or their administrators or, or, or their regular teacher has sat down and told them, this is the ways that you ought to act. This is the expectations that have been set before you. And, and general wisdom says that the more clearly we communicate our expectations, the more we offer somebody else the opportunity to meet them. The more clearly we let somebody know what we expect, the more they have the opportunity to meet those expectations. We do this all over our life, right? We, we do this with children. We set rules for their behavior, saying, this is what we want you to do. We, we do this in the workplace. If you get a job, no doubt when your employer hired you, they sat down and handed you a piece of paper called a job description, saying, when you show up to work, here's the kinds of things that we're expecting for you to do. We're wise when we do this in marriage. We encourage every couple who comes to us and says, hey, we would like to get married. We say, that's great. We want to sit down with you for a period of premarital counseling and talk through some of these issues that each of you as individuals is going to bring into your marriage and the expectations you have about how you will interact together. Of course, sometimes in setting expectations, there's misunderstandings that happen. There was a talented young astronaut who was on his first mission in a spaceship. And they took off and everything was going great. They came up from the launch pad and they were rocketing heavenward. When all of a sudden, just about as they were approaching the ozone layer, this young astronaut did a 180 with the rocket ship, turning back to Earth and landing safely on Earth. He got out and the news all came up to him and they said, well, what was going on? Everything seemed like it was going well. What happened that you turned back around and came to Earth? He said, well, when I was a child, it was always my dream to be an astronaut. And I can still remember talking to my teacher and saying, this is my dream to be an astronaut someday. And she said, well, the sky is your limit. Took <laughs> 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 a few minutes for a few of you. It's all right. Sometimes in communicating our expectations, it becomes a little unclear. And there's some misunderstanding that can creep in. But... In the next section of Galatians, Paul is going to offer up a picture of godly expectations for Christian living. How Christians ought to live their life. And Paul is not trying to create some kind of a new law. He's not going back to, here's some new thou shaltses and thou shalts notses. But he is trying to help clarify, what does it mean to live a spirit-filled life? How do spirit-filled Christians actually live and interact with others? And so hopefully you have your Bible open by now to Galatians chapter 6. And we're going to pick up in verse 1. Paul says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows, excuse me, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Paul writes the Galatians who he's just told, don't live according to the sin nature, but live according to the spirit. And he begins to flesh out for them, what does that look like? How should Christians live this life? And how should they interact with those that they come into contact with? And Paul will begin to list several situations, kind of sharing with the Galatians. And, and I believe most of this is just directly applicable to our lives as well. How followers of Jesus, how people filled with the Holy Spirit ought to interact. And so the first group of people that he will talk about is how should Christians interact with those who are caught in sin? In verse 1 he says, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves. Or you also may be tempted. And Paul would say, the goal is to seek restoration. If you have somebody in your life, if there's somebody you know, and you are watching their life, the goal of your interaction with this person who maybe once upon a time, maybe they were even a Christian, and they were living for Jesus, and they were doing everything right, but they're now doing some things that you could look at and say, man, it's obvious. That is not the goal that Jesus would have for your life. The goal of your interaction with them is restoration. It's not condemnation. It's not to point the finger at them and shame on you. You are so bad. It's not to distance yourself from them and to say, well, you're dirty and I'm never hanging out with you again. But it's to restore that person. Which restoration means the place where they were, that they've fallen back from. I do whatever I can to bring them back to the place where they once were. Paul says, do it gently. Don't do it with force or with anger or judgment or indignation. Do it gently. Do it with humility. Knowing that you're imperfect. In your life, you don't always get it right. And that your hope and your desire, if somebody was to come to you and to try to restore you back to that position, that they would do it with grace, just as Jesus did. He tells us that restoration should be done in the Spirit. That it shouldn't be my ideas. It shouldn't be my convictions. It shouldn't be what I think. But it should be the Holy Spirit leading and prompting me out of love and grace to want to restore something else. That it is not just to do because, well, you didn't make the rules today. But it is done because I desire for you to experience all that God has for you. And Paul says, when we seek restoration, be careful to avoid temptation. It is so possible and so easy when seeking after somebody who has fallen into sin to be pulled down rather than to pull them up. 
used to do this illustration in youth group all the time where we would talk about the fact that it is easier to be pulled down than to pull somebody up. And I'd ask for the room and I'd ask for volunteers. I'd try to get the, the biggest football player kind of guy that I could and I'd stand him up on like a, a stool or something like this. So he's nice and tall. And then I'd find the skinniest, scrawniest sixth grade girl I could in the youth group. And I would bring her up front and I would say, this dude represents spiritual strength. Somebody who loves the Lord, who's got their life just filled with the Spirit, and they are strong in their faith. And this girl, she's kind of not living for Jesus now, maybe not seriously, but I would kind of use that as the example. But she's kind of even weak in that. She's, she's teetering. She's not even all that strong in her lack of faith. And I would say, watch how easy it is for her to pull him down rather than for him to pull her up. Paul tells the followers of Jesus in, in Galatia, don't, don't avoid people who've been caught in sin. But realize that it is so much easier for them to pull you down than for you to pull them up. So when you seek restoration, seek restoration. Do it gently. Do it humbly. Do it with the power of the Holy Spirit. But be aware that it is easy for them to pull you down. And it is hard for you to pull them up. Now, what would make him stronger is if he had a different position that he approached to that. Rather than just standing up cocky and thinking, ah, this is easy. If he were to lay down on the stool or to have a different position or maybe to seek others to come with him in this relationship. There's a lot of things we're not going to get lost in the weeds other than to say, also seek restoration and be careful when you do it next relationship that Paul will talk about is how Christians should interact with those who have burdens. In verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Christians should interact with those with burdens by carrying them. By realizing that every single person that you interact with is going through something. <laughs> I think we, we often have this tendency we, we look at other people and we think they've got it all together they're doing so well everything is right with everybody else and i'm the only person hurting and going through this when the reality is every person you meet is going through something i haven't followed this story super closely so you'll have to forgive me if i get it a little bit off but i've been watching a little bit in our our Tampa Bay football team and watching our quarterback, who's somebody that I think a lot of us would look at and say, man, this is a guy from worldly standards who seems to have it all together. Guy has Super Bowl rings coming out of his ears. He's known as the greatest quarterback of all time. He, he is ridiculously talented on the field. Everybody wants to be like Tom. He is literally married to an international supermodel. He has wonderful kids. His life is just filled with money and fame and riches and popularity. This guy must have it all going on. And very recently, leading up to this season, we've been able to see there's some problems there. There's some issues in relationship and in the life that's not quite perfect. And Paul would say, we all have burdens. And as followers of Jesus, we are called to carry the burdens of one another. Jesus himself would say, greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your friends. You don't just look at other people who are going through stuff and be like, oh man, I got all my own problems. Do deal with that yourself. Paul would say spirit-filled followers of Jesus 
we would lay down our time and our energy and our effort to say, I care about you. I love you. I'm going to enter into that difficult space with you where I can help you to whatever ability that the Spirit gives me, I will give of myself to help you carry those burdens. Moving on, I think Paul will talk about how Christians interact with the holiness of others. Verses 3 through 5, he says, If anyone thinks there's something when they're not, then they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, and then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. Each one should carry their own load. I think Paul instructs us to resist the comparison game. That is so easy to do, even in our spiritual walk. We compare in both directions sometimes. Sometimes in our spiritual walk, we look at other people and we're like, they serve on the worship team. They know Bible stories. They have a title like pastor. And we look up to them and we think they are so holy. And I could never be like them. And it's discouraging for us. We feel like, why even bother getting involved at church or plugging in or, or reading scripture, trying to live this Christian life? And Paul would say, your holiness is yours. It's your journey with the Lord. Don't just compare with those who are above you. Now specifically in this passage, he says, don't compare yourself with those who are maybe behind you. As if, I've got it all together. I am so much better than that person. I mean, maybe I'm not perfect, but did you see what they did? <laughs> My family and I, we were watching uh, YouTube, kind of scanning around YouTube earlier in the week, and I uh, found this comedian that's uh, part of Dry Bar Comedy. And he says, you know what I like to do when I'm not feeling very good about myself is I wake up about 2 o'clock in the morning and I go to Walmart. And I just look around Walmart at 2 o'clock in the morning and suddenly I start to feel better about who I am. And if we're honest, we sometimes have that temptation in our spiritual life. Like if I'm feeling kind of bad about how I'm doing, maybe I haven't read the Bible in a while. Maybe I have fallen in some area that I ought to know better about, I start to look at others and go, well, I haven't done what they've done to feel better about myself. Paul says, resist the comparison. Let your spiritual journey with the Lord be your spiritual journey with the Lord. Seek Him yourself. Paul will then talk about how Christians should act with their leaders or their teachers. In verse 6, he says, Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. We interact with our leaders and our teachers, our mentors, by sharing blessings. Now, I don't know all that Paul maybe has in mind. He says you should share all good things with our instructors, with our mentors, with our leaders and teachers, those who on the spiritual journey have helped us to take a step forward. But one of the things that I think Paul is particularly doing here, because he uses the word nevertheless, and I think this is a comparison word to say, in one situation it's like this, in another situation it's kind of like this. And I think Paul is kind of saying, in your holiness journey with most people, resist the temptation to compare. Resist the temptation to start bragging and to say, well, I have been reading my Bible. I have hit it every single day for six months in a row. I haven't touched a cigarette. And to brag to other people about how good we are. 
Paul says, nevertheless, when it comes to your leaders, share all of their things. Let them know how God has impacted your heart and the difference that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are making in your life. Because here's how it works. When you are comparing with everybody else who's your spiritual peer and you're on their level, it tends to be very discouraging. They tend to have the feeling, I maybe can't live up to what you're doing. And bragging doesn't have any benefit to the kingdom. But when we meet with those who are our leaders and our teachers and our mentors and our coaches in life who are trying to help us grow in the Lord and we let them know, here's how the Holy Spirit has been moving in my life. Let me share with you the blessing of what God is doing. That is the lifeblood for our spiritual leaders and our teachers who regularly face the devil's voice whispering into their ears, you don't make a difference. You're not doing anything of value. Nobody is being transformed. You are wasting your time. So Paul will say, encourage those leaders. Encourage those teachers. Share blessing with them. And primarily, it's the opposite of how it is with your spiritual peers. Tell them how your life is being changed because of God's presence through what they're doing in your life. Next, Paul will talk about how Christians should interact with their own sin nature. In verses 7 to 9, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Paul will tell us to sow to please the Spirit. You have two options, guys. This is how you can live. You can live your life sowing to please the flesh, the sin nature, that desire in you that desires what is contrary to what God has provided for you. And it will destroy you. And God doesn't tell you rules. God doesn't give the law. And he doesn't give the instructions. He doesn't share with us the things that we ought to avoid and things we ought to do to be some kind of a cosmic killjoy. God knows if you are constantly going out and getting drunk, it's going to destroy your life. God knows if you're cheating on your wife, it's going to destroy your marriage. God doesn't want to destroy your life. If you are sowing to please your own sin, nature, and who you are, it is only going to destroy you. And yet God wants life, and life abundant, and goodness, and grace to come into your life. And so Paul says, don't sow to please the sin nature. Sow to please the Holy Spirit. Sin will get you nowhere. The Holy Spirit can take you everywhere God wants to. To restore your life back to the Edenic creation for all eternity that he made you to experience. Don't live to please only your sin, but live to please the Spirit. And finally, in verse 10, Paul will share how Christians should interact with other people particularly those who belong to the family of believers, he will say, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So it's quite simple. How should Christians interact? By doing good. Christians should be seen this way to everyone, as those who do the most good to everyone. And particularly when Christians gather together with other believers, Maybe even when Christians gather together with other believers 
from other churches or other denominations. They should treat each other well. They should do good to one another. They should bring the gospel to others. That our lives would live out the evidence of grace and peace. That those that we meet would experience God's unmerited goodness because we extend goodness even before they deserve it. That they experience peace with us because we extend to them peace saying, you are restored into a relationship with me because I choose to bring goodness to your life. That our lives look like the gospel the way Jesus' life looked like the gospel. As a reminder, he healed the sick, fed the hungry, served people in low positions, taught the uneducated. His presence was with outcasts, and he was a sacrifice for sinners. Recently this week, somebody used this phrase, I thought it was great, that the gospel asks the question, how can I take what is negative in a person's life, and how can I be the person that God uses to turn it towards the positive? Gospel asks the question, how can I take what is negative in somebody else's life and be the one God uses to turn it to the positive? There's a common thread in everything that Paul says in these verses. He asks those who are followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, to give of themselves to intentionally pursue growing relationships with other people. This is where the fruit of the Spirit is most evident in our lives or where the fruit of the Spirit is shown to be the most lacking in our lives. It's where we can either look the most like Jesus, or where we are the most clearly exposed for looking very little like Jesus. Our relationships with others. Our willingness to give of ourselves and engage with others. Just as Jesus left the comforts of heaven and was incarnate, became a man and dwelt on this earth, to engage a fallen world of sinners like you and me. Anybody can look outwardly holy when they live in a proverbial monastery and shelter themselves from the world around them. That's the life of a Pharisee. And in case you haven't read the Gospels in a while, Jesus didn't usually have too many nice things to say about these pious students of the law who had memorized the written word of God but withdrew and hid from society. The power of God is shown in our lives in the midst of our relationships with others. It's when we offer the fruits of the Holy Spirit to hungry people. Those whom life and situations and the devil have destroyed them and left them hurting and hungry for fruit, like love. Looking for a place to find any sense of joy in the chaos of life, desperate for peace. Wondering if anybody would take the time to be patient with them. And the bitterness and the fighting of our world to see, can somebody show them kindness or goodness? And as fast as we change and, and have no sense of commitment in our culture, can somebody show me what it means to be faithful and stick with me? Can somebody who maybe even disagrees with me show me gentleness? Can followers of Jesus have self-control? I wonder if Satan's tactic to distance spirit-filled Christians from others is gaining ground. I feel like the enemy 
has long used the tactic of divide and conquer. And I feel like in recent years, maybe he's gaining ground. I can't help but wonder if those who love Jesus and have been transformed by the power of the gospel are in retreat. Or are we willing to embrace the kingdom-building mission of Jesus to extend the gospel? And not just isolate ourselves from others, but engage in new relationships with them and extend the fruit of the Spirit, which according to the grace of Jesus was once extended to us. And that fruit which we rely upon to sustain our lives. Paul wanted the Galatians to know what the Spirit-filled life looked like. It has a lot to do with our interactions. Just like it did when Jesus gave up heaven to come to earth. Just like it did when Paul left the comforts of his studies in Jerusalem to travel all around the world, even in the midst of illnesses, to go into places like Galatia and share the gospel with largely irreligious Gentiles. He said, this is what the spirit-filled life looks like. In our interactions with those caught in sin, we seek restoration. When we come into contact with people who experience burdens, we help them carry them. When we find ourselves in relationships with others on their own spiritual journey, we resist the, the temptation to compare ourselves either to those above or behind us. With our spiritual leaders and mentors, we share the blessing of how God is growing and changing us. In our own sin nature, we resist the temptation to sow seeds that please only our sin nature but rather we please the Holy Spirit. And with everybody that we encounter, and particularly with those who belong to the family of Christ, we do good. We say, where is the hurt in their life? And how has God empowered me to be the person who can turn what is bad to something that is good as Jesus would leave heaven to bring sinful people back into a relationship with their to restore what was lost in the fall, that Eve would be reborn. Let me pray for you. Jesus, you are so good to us, beyond what any one of us could ever deserve or imagine. Our God loved us desperately and pursued us. And no matter how our life or our situations or the enemy tries to define us, you say that we are yours and we belong to you, that we have a hope and a future, that we can be redeemed, that we can be a part of a kingdom that is coming, but is also here. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill this church. The individuals of this church, we need Jesus in our lives. We need to be reminded again today who you say we are. And we need to be people willing to commit to your gospel, to your kingdom-building mission. Not to sit back and to be content to be comfortable and isolated, but to go as Jesus Christ went to this earth at the direction of his Father. God, give us that Holy Spirit that we may be your representatives in every interaction that we have, that we wouldn't choose just to live comfortable religious lives or lives that, that follow the sin nature, but that we would be filled with your Holy Spirit, that your kingdom may come, that you may build your kingdom here, that this, even now, is our Father's world. The battle is not done, but Jesus Christ, who died, is our victor 
and he will have that eternal victory. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit, which allows us to connect with you, to engage with you, and to be on mission in this kingdom-building endeavor that you are doing. Help us to see your hand, to trust your power, to experience your goodness, and to know your love. In Jesus' name I pray. I want to remind you this morning of uh, the opportunity to worship the Lord through the giving of your tithes and offerings. Uh, there are baskets available as you exit, as well as uh, giving online at oakridgewc.com give. We hope that you'll invite somebody and come back next week to join us as we continue and finish our series in Galatians. And if you're able to, we would love to have you join us for the Family Camp movie this evening. Those who are Adventure Kids volunteers who weren't already serving, please hang out with us in the meet and greet we're going to gather in just a few minutes. Thank you. God bless. Go, guys.